0: USC football today on Thursday, our third podcast of the week. I'm your host, Ryan Abraham, publisher of uscfootball.com, and today will be a solo podcast. I'm going to go at this solo, reading your questions. You guys have sent in a whole bunch of questions following spring football and a lot of other topics, so I figured I'll do a podcast by myself to kind of try to get through some of those and talk about some of these topics that are on the table. Lots to get to, so if you have any questions for us, our regular show, just drop us an email, podcast at uscfootball.com. Or you can leave us a voicemail a couple different ways. Call 641-715-3900, extension eight one six six four six, or go to our website, peristylepodcast.com. Click on the left side of the page and leave a voicemail right from your computer or mobile device. And iTunes.com is a great way to consume podcasts, especially ours. We have our own URL on iTunes. So, itunes.com slash peristylepodcast. It's real easy to get to. You can go there. Uh, subscribe to the show. You can leave us uh, feedback, what you think about the show, a rating. You can do a star rating. Leave us five stars. That would be wonderful. All right. Well, we got to jump right in. So we had Harvey Hyde on earlier in the week, and he kind of recapped um, spring football, the spring game, what he thought about it, Lynn Swan being hired and all of that. We had Dan Weber on this week as well, and he kind of gave you some similar takes, and we talked about some of the topics uh, of the day. In college football. And there was some, you know, news coming out yesterday uh, about the satellite camps and all the different conferences that voted against them and voted it down uh, the legislation to, to ban the satellite camps that Jim Harbaugh and Penn state, some other schools, a lot of big 10 schools were doing. And I know even it happens in the PAC 12 too, not necessarily a satellite camp, but they would have like, say the Oregon state coaches would have a camp over the summer in Southern California that, would be hosted by uh, a local high school or seven-on-seven seven team or something like that, but um, the Oregon State coaches would be there as kind of like guest coaches. So I think that might be one sort of way around some of this, but th- that's been happening too, and usually it's schools that are in less talent-rich areas uh, wanting to tap into schools that are more talent-rich. And uh, that's kind of what we are seeing, you know, so the USC's and UCLA's of the world, they're in a talent-rich area. It doesn't really matter as much to them. Um, but the other schools, you know, if you're you're Washington State, you'd love to be able to do a camp in Southern California where most of the talent you recruit is. All right, so let's go. So speaking of all that, John White wrote in and he said, it would appear USC was in favor of the satellite camps, giving Larry Scott's statement uh, today. Does this surprise you? Um. Yeah, it does. And so if you didn't hear that, so basically, Larry Scott at the, I think it was the coaches' meetings, sort of threw Dan Guerrero, the UCLA athletic director, under the bus saying that 11 of the 12 PAC 12 schools were in favor of satellite camps. And then Dan Guerrero from UCLA voted for the PAC 12 because he was the rep- representative against them. So it was 11 to, to 1. And so you assume Dan Groh was the one that was the one against it. Um, And I read his statement and he said, basically, uh, it looked like it was going to pass anyway. And there was two different options. One that has like completely banning them and one that has uh, anywhere in the state and within 50 miles of the border. And they didn't want that one to pass. So he decided to vote for the full ban one instead. Um, it, I mean, I, I think there's still a lot more that's going to go on here, but it was very kind of, there was a lot of questions going on and this happened with two different conferences too. Um, but yeah, I was a little surprised. So we asked, uh, Clay Helton about the satellite camp issue in one of the, pra- after one of the practices and he didn't come out and specifically say no, but you know, he said it would help other schools more than it would help us. Um, so yeah, it's uh, i w- I'd be a little surprised. I, I would, would have thought the vote would have been 10 to two not 11 to one uh, he goes on uh guerrero ucla defiled the consensus of the rest of the conference can he be suspended or replaced from the pac-12 rep to the NCAA giving this uh, self-serving uh, behavior and does this not again underline the overall buffoonery uh, emanating from larry scott's shop that's from john white uh, i don't think he's going to be suspended or anything like that i mean i don't know how the uh bureaucracy works as far as who becomes a representative and all that kind of stuff he kind of explained what he was doing there who know i mean i don't know maybe they'll replace him i, I don't really know it's kind of like whatever but yes as far as buffoonery goes it's very pack 12 to have 11 schools go in one direction and one votes another way um for the whole conference and the fact, I think the Pac-12 in general should have been for this. And I think if you, at least even if it was, the vote was not going to be there, you come out in favor of it. It's, it starts more discussion and it's not the end-all be-all. Like they're still, they're probably going to go back and rethink this and do all this kind of stuff. So yeah, was th- it, very, it's just very Pac-12 of them, John. Uh, so I get it. Kind of crazy. All right. Let's see. Uh, we have, let's go to Reggie. Reggie says, I was uh, paying particular attention to the way the defense tackled during the scrimmage. Too often I would see a player tackle another by ramming into them but not wrapping up. This disturbs me. It always has as some players will simply bounce off a hit like that and keep going. Have you noticed the way the defensive coaches are teaching tackling this year? There was a story on how the Washington coaches started teaching the rugby-style tackling approach a la Pete Carroll and the Seahawks to the Husky players last year. It appears to be working as they had the top-ranked defense last year. Let me know the thing and what you noticed. Um, Reggie, I would say don't buy too much into the spring game because it really wasn't a game. It just wasn't. There was thud periods. If you heard, you could hear, if you were there, You and I don't know if the broadcast had it, but you could hear Clay Helton talk about each period and what was going to happen. There was never a start at the 20, go down the field, uh, wherever you stop, punt the next th- team gets the ball goes the other way it just th- that wasn't what it was it was very situational there was a lot of thud periods where you weren't wrapping up it was just ram into them um that was by design now coach every high didn't like it dan weber said it was fine um you know you could argue if you think it's a good design or not but that's really what it was designed to do so i wouldn't uh you know buy too much uh, into all of that as far as like what tackling techniques are they teaching i haven't I didn't really talk to any assistant coaches specifically about that. You know, Dan might have, Shotgun might have about some of it, but I wouldn't by observing what you saw in the scrimmage go, that's how they're going to tackle in a game. You can argue should they have been or whatever, but that just wasn't the design. Okay, PJ, he says, I'm a longtime listener and fan of your work with USC football. I agree with Harvey Hyde that the Trojans should have run a real spring game instead of the practice scrimmage their finale clay helton cited the lack of depth on the defensive line as a big reason for this i believe that if usc expects to compete with the likes of alabama in the future this further uh leaves them um you have know, this further leaves them lacking preparedness the two top quarterbacks needed to test themselves with quote-unquote live bullets to show their true abilities furthermore the trojans need to better recruit the defensive line i believe that with t martin as a recruiting coordinator they overstock the shelves with wideouts while uh, neglecting the defensive line, this was a staple of the glory years under Pete Carroll and Orgeron. I don't see this changing anytime soon, even with Nansen taking the coordinator's role. Many thanks, Ryan. Fight on. P.J. and Mission Viejo. All right, well, a few things. Uh, T. Martin isn't the record- recruiting coordinator, and he wasn't. So that was Peter Sermon. Um, and the recruiting coordinator doesn't necessarily direct. Now it's Johnny Nansen. Doesn't direct, you know, well. This is how you're going to get this many, this many, this many. It's more of an organizational thing where trying to keep everyone on the same page, which I think Peter Sermon does a really good job of. Uh, organization right now, I wouldn't say it's the best, but, you know, there's turnover in the staff. So I guess you probably have to give it some time. But there does seem to be some sense of disorganization going on in some of the recruiting circles. But they brought a really good defensive line class last year. The problem with this team was there was, uh, you know, you could argue defensive line recruits from a couple years ago. Last year, if you look at the squad and the defensive line, there was a lot of seniors and a lot of freshmen. There was a one guy that was kind of the bridge guy, Kenny Bigelow, who was a former five-star guy, hadn't contributed a lot, expected a lot from him in 2016. He goes down with another injury, blows out his knee, out for the year. So that bridge guy is gone. Now all those freshmen from last year that became sophomores, you saw Noah Jefferson Jefferson or Rasheem Green or Jacob Daniel, um, but some of the other guys like Kevin Scott that you didn't really get to see, they're going to need to step up and, and make some big, uh, contributions. I mean, they brought in a bunch of good freshmen last year, three guys that were plus 300 pounds. It was just those middle two years between them. Um, and a guy like Kenny Bigelow who wasn't really able to contribute. So yeah, no, I know th- I, do I think they over recruited the, the wide receiver position? Yeah. I think, I think you're probably right there, but I don't think it was. Hey, we're dropping this defensive line recruit so we can pick up another wide receiver sort of thing. Um, but yeah, it, it definitely, that's one of the areas of concern. The depth isn't there. The depth isn't there in the secondary, but a lot of that is going to be really, you know, people are just out um, and they'll be able to come back. But you got guys like Malik Dorton too, who are, are, are contributing more now and they got bigger, um, you know, bigger and stronger uh, it's, you know, and so I, yeah, it's it's nothing you can fix right away. I think the secondary will be fixed when guys come back. The defensive line, it's probably going to be that way. But you saw it last year, too. There just wasn't enough. Um, you know, and they end up dropping a guy like Keyshawn Camp, who was recruited for a while. You know, if you think he can't play, you'd rather not bring him in. But that would have been another body on the defensive line. So, all right, let's uh, move on. Rodney, he says, Ryan, love the podcast. Uh, thank you guys. Thank you guys for keeping us, USC fans slash soldiers abroad uh informed. Well, thank you for your service, Rodney, and thanks for that. I look forward to listening to the show every week. My question is this. Why don't they give Jalen Green a shot at quarterback? He looks way better than Sam Darnold and more mobile than Sam Darnold as well. Uh, what is Clay Helton doing? I'm afraid that if he does not play at quarterback, then he will transfer, and that would be terrible in all caps, Rodney. Uh, I don't know what you saw, Rodney, but I've I've watched these guys quite a bit, and there's no way, no way that I would say Jalen Green looks better than Sam Darnold. Uh, Probably faster than Sam Darnold, but both guys are really athletic and can take off and run. Those guys are in a different category than Max Brown. Um, But, yeah, no, I mean, I don't think Jalen Green would be ahead of Sam Darnold. Just, I mean, he took a year off to play wide receiver. Um, So, I mean, that hurt his development as a quarterback. You know, it's nice that they get to move him back, and I think it's a position he wants to play and watch him. I mean, watch, we watch him all, all the time in practice. He has my favorite deep ball of all the quarterbacks. You watch it, it's, and something about coming off the hand of a lefty, it just looks cool. You know, when he throws a perfect deep ball, it's prettier to me than when Max Brown or Sam Darnold throws the deep ball. The problem is that. He's not always it's it's the consistency. He's not always getting his feet set. The the shorter passes is where I think he needs to work it on work on his game the most. Sometimes he's firing rifling balls at guys' feet that are ten feet away from him. You know, it's it's almost like he can throw a hard ball that's good. But you can't always rely. It's like you can't always rely on your fastball. You gotta have a changeup, you got to have a curve, something like that. And it doesn't seem like he does it all the time. Now I think there he'll throw deep balls that have touch on it. That have air on it that aren't all just rockets. But if you watch when he throws one, it'll be more on a line than when the other guys do. And I don't think that's terrible. I mean, different throw, different you know routes and throws, different situations. You could throw the ball differently. But the I think the more, I think he doesn't have all the throws down. There's certain ones that he does I think better than the other guys, but not all of them. I mean, there's a lot of throws you got to make. And that's just my opinion uh, after watching him. I don't think he's going to transfer. I think he's going to stick around. And remember, he was added as a last-minute deal from Sark to the recruiting class because they needed an extra early enrollee, and he was going to be one of those. So um, I think he's happy now coming back and um, being able to play quarterback again. He could get in the game for, you know, different packages, for situations. You know, USC doesn't do that a lot, but that's a possibility. Um, You know, trick plays. And he could get some reps at wide receiver too. I mean, we're just not sure what's going to go on. But I mean, Rodney, if, if, if I watched, you know, I was just, uh, just about every practice and I would never come away saying Jalen Green was, uh, looked better to me than Sam Darnold. All right. Uh, we got Dan. It's, it's always says Dan from 1962. Dan, I think he's class of 1962, but he signs off Dan from 1962. So uh let's go he says thanks for the spring practice recaps with coach hyde when john mckay was our coach he could shut down any one-dimensional offense so our offense he used for offense he used the i formation with play action passing Pete carroll did the same it seems like the recent coaches have used specific formulations for passing and running making us one-dimensional on almost every play depending on the player package uh what do you see from the current coaches Will we be using a consistent formation so that play-action passing can work and we won't be uh, one-dimensional on every play? Dan from 1962. Well, Dan, um, they still use play-action passing. It's a different-looking offense. Obviously, you're running a lot of stuff out of uh, a spread formation and, and shotgun. And most plays seem to have some sort of element of a fake handoff. And, you know, we end up filming a lot of the stuff. Um, so, you know, there's play action pass. If you're filming the play from the field and we do that a lot, games, and everything, it's, uh, it play action passing can get you, especially we're usually filming on the other side of the line. And I actually ended up asking because of the, because of the way we would film, I would ask some of the defensive players, how they combat against play action passing. And a lot of them didn't want to reveal their secrets, but there's stuff like if you're on the you know defensive side of the football look at the offensive lineman's hands that are on the ground. And if they're, if their knuckles are red or white, I guess it, I think it's white. Like if you push it down, yeah, I think it's white. Um, that means that their hand is like firmly into the ground and they're ready to push forward and run block, as opposed to if their hands are lighter on the ground and not pushing hard into the ground, they're probably going to take a step back and pass block, which would mean it would be a pass. So there's stuff that little tricks that you can do by watching. Um, and even after they, you know, watch what the offensive linemen do in a play. If they stand up and kind of backpedaling a little bit, even if there's this fake handoff, that's probably going to be a pass. It'll be a play action pass. So anyway, so kind of figuring all that out. They still do a lot of that because we get fooled when we're trying to film it. And if you're filming, oh, you follow the running back. Ah, oh, crap. Max Brown has the ball and he's going to throw it. Um, it's just different. You know, college football has evolved. Um, and the USC offense, the last several years have been more of a modern, what, you know, you've seen in the modern days. It's not, you know, an eye formation and running back fullback and a tight end that stays in the block. It's just, it's not really that. I mean, you're going to see, you'll probably see two tight end sets from this offense this year, but they're going to be out as pass catchers and try, you know, that that's one aspect we haven't seen, uh, the last couple of years. I think you're going to see more of that now but it's just different. I mean, if you had a different offensive coordinator, you had a different head coach, you would probably have different formations and different philosophies. But I think that it's, you know, you just watch it and you'll see, there's still play action going on. It's just not the traditional under center quarterback turns around, looks at the running back, you know, puts it in his chest, or puts it as, you know, puts it in his gut, pulls it away The running back, you know, Pretends like he's running and then and then blocks and then he comes, you know, the quarterback turns back around, looks at the field and throws the ball down the field. So, um, yeah, so that's it's it's different kind of play action passing, but it certainly is. Uh, This one, let's see. I'll keep it short this week. My question has to do with the options at defensive line for USC. We are really thin there being so thin. What options exist to shore up that position, i.e. grad transfers for the fall? Uh, when do we have to declare if that's their intent? And if USC added a few grad transfers, how would that impact the current scholarship situation? Second uh, opinion would be walk-ons. Very difficult to find quality walk-ons on the defensive line. The last option would be to move some of the current offensive line guys to the defensive line. It seems unfair to ask Simmons to go back as he appears to be doing well at offensive line. I would like to ask the old ball coach, uh, Harvey Hyde, what he would do in this situation. That's from Reggie. Sorry, Reggie, we don't, this is a solo podcast. I didn't realize that was, to, I didn't read the, the full question. Didn't see you were asking at the end. Um, crowd transfers are not easy to find. Just like good walk-ons or blue shirt candidates. I mean, this very specific situations Um, can, you know, does that occur? Uh, I think the best option is your third option is moving someone from the offensive line, but, you know, how good is that person going to be besides, you know, Jordan Simmons who would be a big body. that could kind of plug things up in the middle, but he's in the top four for as far as, um you know, the offensive guard position for USC. So it's uh it's a tough, you know, it's a tough situation right now. I don't think there's an immediate fix. It's not like you can go out and get a free agent, Reggie. So um, yeah, sorry about that. There's just not, you know, how many Defensive linemen out there have graduated and are unhappy and they want to go start somewhere else and they're good. Um, you know, they're going to roll with what they got. You know, maybe they can find, uh, some walk ons and you can get some preferred walk ons every once in a while. But usually you're talking about defensive lineman walk on. Are they going to come in? Are you going to find some six foot four, 285 pound quick defensive lineman that, uh, wasn't going anywhere and ends up wanting to walk on at USC. No, that's that's probably not going to happen. So sorry about that, Reggie. It's kind of like the the deal of what's going on right now. uh Let's go, Eugene. It's kind of long. He says, "Wow, it's very disappointing to see Coach Helton has quote unquote played the public and the media." I was hoping for a breath of fresh air with the new head coach and staff. The Max Brown and Sam Darn- Darnold competition has become a clear contradiction to the quote best player plays mantra. If Ryan would release his quarterback statistical chart like he has done in the past, we would see that Sam Darnold is clearly in front. And for the coach to be on record stating that, quote, whoever moves the ball and produces points in the heat of battle, unquote, is what we are looking for, should point to Sam. Unfortunately, the future recruits are are now sophisticated enough to see through this, and it doesn't bode well for the future. I wrote this before the spring game, and Sam Darnold was clearly uh, outperforming Max. But Coach would defer his decision just to, to buy time to justify Max not transfer or Max being the starter. Additionally, Jerry Neuheisel at UCLA was also a three-spring camp veteran, paid his dues, along with, along with many other quarterbacks in the country who were beaten out by younger, more talented players. Uh, let the best players play. That's why Dory Jackson will start, although he has not played a lick of spring football. What do you think, Eugene? Okay, Eugene. Well, first of all, Jerry Neuheisel was a completely different situation than Max Brown. Max Brown was the number one quarterback in the country, five-star, that a lot of people thought should have played ahead of Cody Kessler. That was not Jerry Neuheisel. He was going against the number one quarterback in the country, Josh Rosen. So there's a reason there, okay, there's political reasons to start people. One of them being former five-star, former number one player in his position. For recruiting purposes, you don't want someone like that to come in and never play. Um, it's bad enough having them wait for a while, let them never play in their career. That's one thing. The other, the other political thing is he has waited his turn, and a lot of people felt he should have played more. He, he definitely should have played more during his career. He got in more games as a uh, freshman, redshirt freshman than he did as a redshirt sophomore. That was a crime. And a lot of it was the Sark blow up and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but still, he needed to be in games more. And I said at the beginning of last year, he's got to play. He's got to play in real situations. Not to be benching Cody Kessler, but give him a shot. And they really didn't. He got mop-up, some mop-up duty. Not even as much mop-up duty as he should have had. So. He's in – they put him in a bad situation earlier, not his fault. Um, but he, being a smart guy, is graduating and can leave and can play two years somewhere else. He could even – I mentioned this before – transfer to where Lane Kiffin is at Alabama and play against USC in the very first game of the season. So his first start ever could be against USC. In my opinion, it's going to either be for USC – Or against USC? What do you want? What would you rather do? Alabama's quarterback situation isn't great right now. And Max Brown could come in there and potentially start right away. He could transfer there and get beat out. And, you know, who knows? Um, As far as Sam Darnold being clearly ahead of him, I don't buy that at all. Now, Sam Darnold, I think, has a lot of upside. I like him a lot. I think there's an Orange County mafia that um, there's people in Orange County, USC fans, that want to see a quarterback that's from Orange County. They just do, they would, they don't, they hate a John David booty. What's well, this dude from Louisiana coming in? Um, they want Mark Sanchez or Matt Leonard or Matt Barkley. They want the orange County guy. Um, Max Brown is not the orange County guy. He's from Washington and there's people that just don't, they they want him from Southern California for whatever reason. L- literally there's people that are you about that. Um, I'm not saying Eugene, that's what you're doing or not, but I would say, if I, the statistical stuff I couldn't do, there wasn't numbers to release because a lot of practice we weren't able to see. So I wasn't able to keep good notes and, and all that. But the other aspect was Max Brown was getting the, the vast, vast, vast majority of the first team reps. So it wasn't going to be an apples to orange comparison anyway. And, you know, we would, we would um, plot it out. Well, if you're playing against the first string defense, you get a little bonus in your quarterback rating. If you're playing with the first string offense, you get a little ding. Um, just kind of like trying to even things out. So if it was, so even if Sam Darnold was always with the second team and, you know, he got reps with the first team too. It's just Max Brown was always kind of going out there first. Um, I'm just not sure how helpful it would have been. And the ones I did plot, I didn't think, you know, Sam Darnold was not some clear, it was not clearly ahead. So I think your premise is, is, is off probably way off as far as it's so clear Sam Darnold's the best. Now you look at it and you watch, if you watch a spring game or you watch a bunch of practices, I think they both do different things. You know, well um, I would say because of the political stuff, Sam Darnold would need to be well ahead of Max Brown to win the job. Um, that's my take on what the USC coaches are deciding. And I haven't seen that. I've seen them both play really well. Um, I liked both of them. I didn't think you could do well with either guy, but to say clear cut Sam was just so much better than Max. I, I don't agree with your take on that, Eugene. Sorry about that, but that is my take on it. So I, I, my take has been Max a win. I'm not sure why Clay Helton is delaying that decision until the fall. You know, he told us he was going to decide on Monday if he would go forward or not, um, you know? Could it be a situation where they love Sam Darnold and they want the they want a long term future with a redshirt freshman quarterback, and they're going to try to convince Max to stay, and so that's why they're not naming. I mean, I guess that's a possibility. Who knows? There's a lot of things potentially going on here, but you know, I would probably pick Max has been a little better than Sam, but not by a lot. Uh, from what I've seen in spring football and with all the other reasons to kind of start Max and he's waited his turn and all that kind of stuff, you know, my guess is that's where they would go. I thought he would name Max Brown the starter. He did not. So this will continue on through the summer and the first couple weeks of fall camp. And then we should get an answer from um, Clay Helton. All right. Thanks, Eugene. Let's go to Justin. Why? Uh, nothing. Okay. So I think this is about Lin Swan. I didn't write the subject down uh, on my little notes here, but he said, why? Nothing against Mike Garrett, Pat Hayden, or Lin Swan, but why can't we have someone with experience? To be honest, this is the way you would hire if you, the USCAD was simply a figurehead position, is it? That's from Justin. Okay, Justin, good point. Yeah, I mean, I like Lin Swan. I like Pat Hayden. I definitely was critical of a lot of Pat Hayden's decisions. We'll see if we're going to be critical. A lot of Lin Swan's decisions. He doesn't have any experience and someone brought this up too. And I, I this is something I was kind of bring up a lot and people that are really excited. Lin Swan's going to be great. Um, the same guy, you know, people that were, you know, Clay Helen's going to be awesome. What the, the real, the real thing is if you got to take a step back and say, what other power five program or top 25 program, would have hired Clay Helton as their head coach? Any? Probably not, right? I mean, think of one that would have been like, hey, we want Clay Helton as the head coach. Probably not. It's a very specific thing to USC. Very specific. He's been around. We've seen him. We know what he's like. That's what the administration people would say, and they're going to hire him. Same sort of thing with Lynn Swan. What Power Five school would go, oh, we have an open athletic director position. Let's go get Lynn Swan. It's a very specific thing to USC. Now, doing that once or twice, but this is something that USC seems to do over and over and over again, breaking convention and hiring people that are USC people and a lot of criticism on that. National media just like, man, this is so, the nepotism at USC is so crazy. And Dan Weber talked about this a little bit though. Lynn Swan, even though he went to USC, is still sort of an outsider. And you could look at that, oh, that's a good thing or a bad thing. It's not like he's been around the program a whole lot. Yes, he went to USC. There's, uh, you know, a lot of, you know, his resume looks a lot like Pat Hayden's with the broadcasting and all that kind of stuff. Um, and no athletic administration experience you know, hiring coaches and managing people and things like that. It just, that's where he's lacking, um, in experience. So yes. Why, why Justin? Well, I mean, I think you've seen USC do this before. The culture hasn't changed, even though people say it's going to change. This is what USC does. So I don't think you can be shocked that USC would do something like this personally. And I've said this before Lynn Swan was hired and Lynn Swan is a childhood idol of mine. I grew up in Western Pennsylvania, idolizing Lynn Swan. And it was great to be able to shake his hand and meet him at the press conference and tell him, hey, I'm from Beaver Falls. And he's like, oh, I live in Swickley, like just north of that or whatever. I mean, that was really cool. And, you know, do I think he can do a good job? Yeah, he could do a good job. There's, you know, could Clay help Yes, the, of course they could do a good job. But there's, you know, there's an experience factor that if you put any more emphasis on that, those guys wouldn't be as high on your list to hire people. You could hire just about anyone and they could do a good, you know, potentially could do a good job. I mean, there's, it's hard to say. And then even, you know, people are split on, you know, we've seen Pat Hayden what five years and a lot of people are very critical of stuff he's done. And other people are like, he did great. He did this, he did that. So even after watching them perform uh, their duties, people are disagreeing on if he was even good or not then. So I think it's really hard to say now because we could be five years later, I could come in and say what Lindsy was the best athletic director ever, director ever, and someone could write in and say he was a terrible athletic director. So it's even you know afterwards, you're it's hard to judge how good they were or how not. But for me personally, I thought USC needed to get a sitting athletic director from a Power Five conference, bring them in, some of their own people, their own philosophies. This is what works. This is what doesn't. Here's my experience. And you lean on a guy like Steve Lopes that, have you tried this? Well, we did this before, and we didn't do it anymore because of this. And then the athletic director would be like, you know, we actually did that too. This went wrong, but we adjusted it this way, and I think this would work for USC. I think right now with Lynn Swan, he's going to be relying on everyone that's already there if you are looking for big changes in the athletic department, I don't think that's going to happen because, you, you know, you have someone with no experience relying on the people that are here. And there's a lot of good people, but it, I I would think the train's is going to keep going down the same track. It's not going to go anywhere different. That could be good. If you wanted it to change, I guess that could be bad. Uh, is it a figurehead, Justin? I don't think so, but I think the most important aspect of the, position is raising money and a guy like Lin Swan at USC that's the his unique aspect where could Lin Swan raise a whole bunch of money at Michigan State I don't know maybe but they don't really you know there are a lot of Steeler fans there or you know he didn't play you know at Michigan State but at USC you know he did play there he's a he's a Trojan so he can probably raise more money than um someone else you know so I don't I wouldn't say it's a figurehead position but it's uh, a lot about raising money and I think someone like Lin Swan could do a really good job at something like that so is that the main reason they hired him in my opinion yes all right let's go to Eric any of last year's are any of last year's starters who are out with injury in danger of losing their job come fall and are any of last year's starters in danger of losing their jobs outright thanks so much Eric at Duck Country interesting eric so i think there's some guys we've seen emerge um i think someone like a scott felix could have been now he's out he's off the team so that doesn't really matter um you know like a porter gustin comes in and 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 takes his spot we've seen like a, a cameron smith i don't think he's going to lose his spot but we've seen a lot of good things from uh, you know, Quentin Powell playing inside and Michael Hutchins. Uh, those guys are getting a lot of first team reps where I think it'll be more of a. It just is helping the guys below the starter, you know, get some more time. Now, a guy like uh, Leon McQuay, um, you know, maybe, you know, Chris Hawkins was doing a lot, of, you know, started a lot of games last year, played a lot. Leon McQuay was kind of like in the doghouse. I think he's played really well and he might have. Played himself back to his old starting position. Um, that's certainly a you know, you know, possibility there. We're seeing on the offensive line, uh, you know, Chad Wheeler coming back from injury. Is he going to take that left tackle spot from Zach Banner? Um, will Chuma Doga take over one of those guys spots and, and, and get the first team reps? Um, Nico Fala has played really well at center. Uh, could he, you know, force one of those other guys like Toa Lubandon or, Khalil Rogers out and move to guard or something like that. And at the guards, you've got four guys in the rotation. I mean, um, you know, Jordan Simmons has come on. I don't think it's as much as like an injury is gonna cause uh a change. It there's there's certainly, you know, some aspects of that. Like is Adore Jackson gonna lose his starting spot? No. Um, you know, John Plattenberg has been out. You know, they like Leon McQuay, maybe, you know, and, and Clovis Hawkins is out, maybe they like uh, uh Marvell Tell, you know, maybe Tell and McQuay end up being your starting safeties, you know, who knows? I guess there's some, some possibilities there, but the the real thing for me to watch is those guys that were in the doghouse last year, Quentin Powell, like, especially he's someone to watch. Um, we kept saying he should be making plays out in the field on a defensive, on the defensive side of the ball. And they would never put him out there. He's too small, blah, blah, blah. Not only is he not too small, I mean, they've moved him inside now where you're supposed to be bigger, and he's able to tackle a lot of guys. So I think you're going to see some guys that were in the doghouse before kind of emerge a little bit, Eric. And, uh, you know, not necessarily taking someone's starting job away, but certainly, you know, pushing for playing time where maybe there wasn't uh, before. Okay, Rodney. Uh Let's see. He says, after watching the spring game, I am really disappointed in Clay Helton. He looks like a new coach out there. Our s- team still looks like they have no identity, and that is all on the coach. But also what's going on with our quarterback situation, he needs to make Max Brown the starter. Uh, it is clearly his time under the gun. Sam is new to college football and doesn't know college football like Max Brown does. I'm starting to think. Clay Helton was not the guy, and that he will not be here if we fail to reach a 10-win season with all the talent we have. There's no excuse uh, why we look like a high school JV team out there. Rodney. So here's someone else with a different opinion um, about you know, the quarterback situation. He hasn't named anyone. Uh, you know, you assume Max Brown's ahead, but that's about it. Um, yeah. As far as, you know, looking like a JV team out there, like we talked about this at the top of the show, it wasn't meant to be a full-on game. You know, if you watch all those SEC games on ESPNU and SEC Network and stuff, I mean, most of those were more like a game game. And there was reasons why Clay Helton chose not to do that. You can argue he should have done it anyway or whatever, but um, whatever your opinion on that is, but that was the plan going in. So I don't know. I, you're disappointed in Clay Helton? I mean, he is new. This is his first spring football, running a program. All of this, that was his first spring game. I mean, running the program. When you hire someone that doesn't have experience and hasn't done it before, you kind of have to expect some growing pains. You can't expect, oh, yeah, we're going to hire this guy who's never done it before. And it's going to be this well-oiled machine that just runs like clockwork and no problems whatsoever. If you expected that, then you, you probably should have hired someone else. Um, so. The fact that you hired Clay Helton and he's never done spring football before, he can study up on it and, you know, look at what he's learned from all the other spring footballs he's participated in and all that. But it's a little different when it's your show. There's decisions that are made. You make calls. Um, you know, not naming a starter is a decision. It's just a decision. It's going to be criticized. Every decision you make as head coach, people can be critical about them. So. Yeah, I mean, I, I just don't think you can look at it like, wow, well, it didn't it didn't look like what I saw in Pete Carroll's sixth year for spring football. Yeah, because <laughs> I mean, it's completely different. So I don't think that's really fair. But you, I mean, if you're USC, you know what you're getting into when you hire someone that's never been a head coach before. That's part of the issue, though. So. Um, all right, I think this will be our last one. Oh no, we got uh, let's see, we got two. Okay, is this team conditioned better to go no huddle? or traditional huddle up. Um, I think the team is c- conditioned well to do no huddle. I think they're going to do no huddle. It's going to be elements of tempo. It's not going to be the what Steve Sarkeesian said they were going to try to do and run 120 plays a game or whatever. But you're seeing the offensive line really being pushed uh, throughout practice because that's – I mean, if your offensive linemen aren't ready, the play can't go on. So I think they're 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 pushing for that, and I I do think that, um, you know the elements of no huddle are going to be in there. You're going to see you know not huddling up, you know, quicker tempo, um, you know it's just it's more spready, and I think you're gonna you're gonna see a lot of that. Now it doesn't mean they can't be traditional as far as trying to power run the football and all that kind of stuff. I mean, I think they they've said that that's what they want to do and kind of put an emphasis on that, but I do think that with Neil Calloway coming in the offensive line is a little bit better conditioned. Um, it's a, something that's emphasized daily uh in practice. So that's, um yeah, I don't, I don't think that's going to be as big of a, an issue or a big concern. And you do, you know, you talk to the offensive lineman, I talked to Nico Fala about it. Yeah. It's going to be, um, they're not going to huddle up a lot. That's just not the way it's going to be. Not a lot of under center, uh, not a lot of huddling. Uh, okay. Last one. This is from Chris. He says, I'll keep it simple. Ryan, during your podcast with Keely, or you said, quote, I'm not overly optimistic in this year's team in general. Could you explain? I think I know what you mean for the fact that in general, it takes some time to develop a new team under a new administration. Like Dan Weber said the other day on the podcast, give it about three years and the team should be where they're expected to be. Since you were close to the program, from your vantage point, what holes or perhaps inconsistencies, on a more specific level, are going to take more time to be leveled and developed over time? Um, fight on, from Chris. Hey, Chris. Yeah. So, yeah, that was the it was a few weeks ago. I think or a couple of weeks ago, we had Keeley on, and uh, you know, looking at this from a completely objective position. Yeah, I mean, I think this is a team, and Dan. I think Dan Weber is certainly more optimistic than me. I think Harvey Hyde's probably more pessimistic than me. I'm probably somewhere in the middle of those two. Um, no, I'm, I mean, I look at the schedule, and I know it's really tough. It's one of the toughest that you're going to see. And just the way it lays out, you start off with a really brutal stretch. And people can say, well, Alabama lost a bunch. It's, it's Alabama. You're playing them in Dallas. It's going to be a road game. You're going to have the greatest coach in maybe college football history, against a rookie head coach. So, I mean, that's a mismatch, in my opinion. Like, Clay Helton, at you know, five years from now, maybe you're saying that about Clay Hilton. He's the greatest coach ever. He's Bear Bryant. Um, He's, you know, right now you can't say that. He's, you know, he, he's been the permanent head coach for USC for two games, and they lost them both. So, you know, it's not that you say he can't get there, but this is going to be his first game as a USC head coach where he had the offseason to prepare, his recruiting class and all that kind of stuff. That's a mismatch. No matter what, you know, I don't care how optimistic you want to be. You think that's a, a mismatch going against Nick Saban? Um, no, I mean, it's just, I'm sorry. It just is like, that's, that's the reality of it. I, I don't give USC a, a, a good chance or much of a chance to beat Alabama. Now it certainly could happen, but that's going to be hard. And the problem is if it's ugly hard, you're putting yourself in a really hard spot for this team mentally to go on the road and get, you know, you get punked in the first game. If that happens, how does it recover? How does this team recover? Again, you got rookie, rookie coaches out there that haven't had to do this before. So how do they recover? It could recover great, but we don't know because they haven't had to do it before. Um, you know, Utah state is is a talented team. You don't want to struggle against them, shouldn't lose to them, but coming back and you got Stanford on the road and then a six day, uh, Friday night game, six days later, Friday night game at Utah on the road. Now they both have to, you know, figure out quarterback situations and stuff. And, um, but Stanford is Stanford and Utah on the road on a short week after playing the other toughest team in the, con- you know, in the conference, Stanford is not going to be easy. So that's a really brutal first four game stretch. The last four games are not anywhere. You know, they're not easy either. You know, the the reprieve, I guess will come in the middle. So am I overly optimistic? No, I'm not. I mean, I just think that there's a lot of things that could go wrong, but this team has a lot of talent and I like coaches that they brought back that they brought back from the Lane Kiffin era and, I like this, that Clancy Pendergast is going to have a more aggressive scheme. There's a lot of things that I like, but all of that's going to have to come together and work really well. Um, am I looking at if I had to bet, you know, this is going to be a 10 win team? No, I wouldn't bet that at all. They, they have the talent to be a 10 win team. Certainly they'll, they'll probably be favoring a bunch of those games that you think are tough. Um, you know, favorite on the road at Utah. I, I could see that happening. But, man, that's not going to be an easy game. You know, in Oregon and Notre Dame and uh, UCLA, hellbent on revenge. There's, you know, it's not an easy slate. There are so many balls up in the air as far as, you know, questions. And we'll see. Clay Hilton might answer a lot of those questions in the first couple of games. They come out and play really well against Alabama. They either beat them or it's close. And this team looks like, wow, that defense is aggressive. Max Brown or Sam Darnold is just tearing it up. The running back tandem of Justin Davis and uh, Ronald Jones, like, man, they're just, it's, it's awesome. And the offensive line is deep and tough and pushing people around and held their own against that Alabama front. You're be like, Hey, there, this team could be really good, but there's a lot of ifs there to make sure it gets there. I mean, you feel this, yeah, the offensive line is really talented. How many offensive line coaches have they had over the last, I think six over the last five years? Um, if you counted that right, I mean, they had a couple last year with guys coming in and out. It's, it's been very inconsistent there and, and, and all the coaches and, and having, you know, a coach fired in the middle of the year, there's just a lot of crap that's been going on. So USC's been better than most at recovering from a lot of crap, Chris, they just have, but that's a lot to ask. And you can't, I don't think you can assume that everything's just going to work and it's going to bounce back and just, Oh yeah, it's, it's all, it's all going to fall into place. All these puzzle you know, you've changed so many pieces in the machine. You took out this piece, this piece, this piece, this piece, put in this one, this one, this one, this one. And you got people that are doing jobs they've never done before. First time offensive coordinator, T T Martin, first time defensive line coach and Kenichi Udeze and first time head coach and Clay Helton, and bringing a couple guys in from Western Kentucky and Louisiana Tech. Ta- I mean, you're there's there's a whole lot of just things been mixed up, you know, and is it going to come out? You just throw it all together. Is it going to be this well-oiled machine? It could be. But most likely it's not. It's going to take some time for it to all work. And maybe you're like, well, this coach we thought would fit in, he didn't. We're going to get rid of him. But all these other guys are working out well. We can tweak this and tweak that. And 2017 is better, you know. Um, but I think for 2016, it's a lot to ask. So why am I not overly optimistic? Uh, hopefully that kind of explained, uh, you know, my I'm trying to give a realistic view. Not that they can't. Not that this team, because of the talent level on this team, and I do believe it is a very, very talented team that can trump a lot of stuff sometimes. Now you see I to me coaching is more important than talent. Um you got to have talent, but without good coaching and without developing that talent, you're going to be lacking in certain situations and and you see teams lose games that they shouldn't lose and USC's been guilty of this. It just happens. So will USC kind of clean up all that stuff even with an experienced staff? You know, it's been around for a couple of years. We saw it happen with Sark um, it's a lot to ask of Clay Helton and his staff to kind of get it all together. Everything's working great. Play four really tough games right out of the chute and be three and one. And you know, But if USC does go through that and is able to maybe say lose to Alabama and win the next three, you beat Stanford on the road, beat Utah on the road, I would be thinking at that point you'd have to reassess things. That's going to be a different USC team if they're able to come out three and one and play well beat those teams on the road in conference the middle stretch you're not going to have any harder games than you would in the first four and then it sets you up really well for the final stretch so yeah if say usc starts three and one they could sweep the middle four and then go into the you know the the oregons and the notre dames and ucla with momentum and playing better and it you know it really at that point wouldn't be in my opinion a rookie heads coaching staff anymore Cause, you know, Clay has experienced the, the interim experience and then two legit games, but this is really his first team. And if you start off that strong, I think it'll give him a lot of confidence. And I think whatever systems he had put in place were obviously working. Um, because they're, you know, started off so strongly. So it's certainly possible. I don't think it's, is as likely as there's some struggles. There's some. Oh man, it shouldn't have lost that game. I can't believe this happened and stuff like I just kind of, my take is that's probably how the season's going to go because people are kind of learning on the job and it, and yeah, it sucks. I mean, it's going to be Juju Smith last year. It's going to be a Jackson's last year. Um, you know, they're going to go pro. So you want those two five star studs that you brought in to be able to go out on a high note, but it's a lot to ask with all the coaching changes with, um, the schedule that's put in place it's just there's a lot going on so maybe that's a long answer to a shortest question chris but hopefully i kind of explained it well all right that's just my take so you can email us podcast at usfootball.com if you agree disagree whatever um we do love to hear from you we still i still have a bunch of questions from dan for dan here dan had a lot of questions this week so we couldn't get to all of them uh, but i tried to answer as many as i could that were kind of like just general things on USA usc football um we got to really you know, the off season should be fun we're gonna do summer workout coverage which is cool i love seeing the new freshmen arrive and they're going to be arriving uh sometime in june so stay tuned to the site for that a lot of recruiting stuff going on we'll try to get gerard martinez uh back on may evaluation periods are always fun to watch and kind of see what's going on um you know the coaches hitting the road and all that and that, that's the other aspect of it on the recruiting side. You need some momentum on the, on the field. And I think, you know, this is a team. I don't think there's as many dynamic recruiters on this team as there were with like Sark or Kiffin staff. There's some for sure. Um, But there's, there's more, I think there's more guys that aren't dynamic recruiters than that we've seen probably. In a, I mean, I don't know, maybe since Hackett or something. So Winning is important on the recruiting side because you need to be able to do that. You, I mean, if, if this team starts losing a bunch of games, it's going to make recruiting all that hard, you know, much harder because you're kind of selling this new philosophy with Clay Helton and it doesn't work right away. Eh, you know, it's a little bit harder to sell. So I think recruiting is a, you know, it, this year is important for the recruiting side uh, winning, looking good. It, you know, and if you could show, uh, progress and show, you know, hey, there's potential here. Then yeah, I think that could help on the recruiting side, but if not, if it's like looking disorganized and, and losing some games, you shouldn't, I think that could not only hurt on the field, but then you're also talking about being hurt on the recruiting side as well. So a lot riding on this year. Um, don't, don't get me wrong. Um, I do believe it's a really, really important year. Even if it's a first year, Clay Hilton's not on the hot seat or anything like that. You didn't hire him. To put him on the hot seat right away. But I think a bad season could put him on the hot seat with a new athletic director, you know, the following year. So, um, Clayton's a guy you don't have to worry about. He's going to keep his nose clean. You're not going to have the kind of scandal stuff that we saw with Kiffin and Sark. Uh, but you got to win. And, um, it's good. I think it's going to be tough this year. So, all right. I don't know how I got back onto that again, but that was my take. 55 minutes or so solo podcast. So just, Try that sometime. Just kind of talk to to yourself for a little under an hour and uh, try to make sense. So I'm probably babbling on by the end of the show. But I hope you guys enjoyed it. Um, Again, we had Harvey Hyde on earlier in the week. We got Dan Weber on uh, midweek. And then we just had the solo one today. We got the uscfootball.com war room coming up on Friday morning, as always. Make sure you check that stuff out. Always great inside information on the program on uscfootball.com. The message boards are great. You want to get your fix. Uh, message boards are, are popping every day. The pair styles are a premium message board for all the subscribers. Check that out for sure. Uh, if you're a USC fan, you need to go check that set off. We're putting a bunch of videos up, a bunch of recruiting content. Um, we'll talk about the NFL draft and where the USC guys are going. So lots of stuff kind of going on right now, even though spring football is over, plenty of USC football to talk about. So hope you guys enjoyed the Peristyle Podcast, and we will talk to you next time. Welcome back to the show, folks. We're downtown today looking for small business owners. Here's one now. Excuse me, who's handling the marketing for your business? Marketing? My nephew did our Facebook page and the website, but I didn't really see results. I'm just too busy trying to build my business to focus on that stuff. Maybe I have to hire a professional. Well, did you know Circle Marketing's entire team of marketing experts can help you grow your business? Really? But can Circle Marketing handle my social media updates? Yes. New website design? Yep. Online advertising? Sure thing. Make a professional video? Oh, yeah. Help me with marketing strategy? Absolutely. Can they walk my dog, Harriet? Um, no, that's not marketing. Oh, okay. Well, we were on a roll there. So where can I find more information about Circle Marketing? That's easy. Go to circlemarketing.com. When you're ready to hire a professional, full-service marketing company, contact Circle Marketing.